probably don't hear a lot of in Christianity. Uh, you hear a lot about the uh, prosperity gospel. You hear a lot about how Jesus is going to improve your life and those kind of messages. But our message this morning is, who wants to sign up for suffering? It's, uh, who wants to sign up to suffer? Let, let's see a show of hands. And you know, the truth be known, if I were to give those invitations at the close of every service, asking for people to come forward who want to suffer for the Lord, be persecuted, please come forward. Probably wouldn't see a big response, would we? You don't hear many invitations like that. But you know, that's probably a a biblical invitation. Because the truth is, we are promised one thing in this world. That if we are going to follow Jesus Christ and be sold out, surrendered to Jesus Christ, we can expect to suffer. And truth be known, American Christianity, we really haven't experienced a lot of that, have we? And it's caused us to become soft. We're complacent and we're apathetic. I said apathetic, not pathetic, but probably the same thing. And... It's really, as, as believers, it's tragic. And I think sometimes the best thing that could happen to American Christianity is to have something to uh, disrupt the normal flow of things. And so this morning I want to talk to us a little bit about this subject. And I want us to be mindful. You know, when we come and gather here on Sundays... Listen, I know how easy it is for us to come in, we've done our Sunday duty, and we go back to life as normal. You know, we miss the point. Christianity isn't something that we do on Sundays. It's who we are. It's it's how we live when we're outside these doors. And we all will stand before a holy God and give an account for our life. And that really ought to shake us to the core of who we are. We've got to stop playing church and be the church. Are you serious about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you recognize what Christ did on your behalf? What He's given us. And then what we're to do with that. How it's to transform us so that we're different in this world. Well, I want to talk to us a little bit about that this morning. And um, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that's probably one of the most difficult New Testament passages. I believe a lot of times it's misunderstood, it's misinterpreted, it's misapplied. But I want to help us by preparing us for the suffering that's yet to come. And I really believe we are going to be entering into some days of suffering in America as a whole. Now some of you here this morning, you're already in those days as individuals. You've got battles. You know what I'm talking about. Whatever your battle is this morning... I want to encourage you with God's truth. This is not our home. 
we're passing through. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I pray that the seriousness of this message would weigh heavy on our hearts. I pray that you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see your truth. And pray, Lord, that you would shake any complacent soldier of Christ in this room and for them to awaken and recognize that we are called soldiers according to Scripture because we are genuinely in a battle. And it's the battle for the souls of men. Father, help us to awake from the slumber that we can no longer be entangled with the cares of this world but that we would turn our eternal eyes on your kingdom and work and labor from salvation to the glory that awaits. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through chapter 4, verse 2. If you do not have your Bible with you, uh, we will project this up on the screen. Follow along, if you would, our reading in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and following. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. A little background of what's going on here in 1 Peter. Many of you know this. In 1 Peter, as as Peter writes this this letter, there's a great persecution that has rose up in the land. You know the story how Rome is burnt. 
And Nero is in power at the time. And Nero was a very wicked man. He was a very wicked ruler. And he had a strong hatred towards Christians. Now, rumor has it that Nero actually set the fires because he had this this overwhelming passion to build and, and to establish things of his own. And so in order to do this, he needed to get rid of some of the old stuff, so he torched it. The people were upset. Uh, All their deities, their little G-gods, destroyed their life as they knew it. They were angry. So to displace the blame, Nero blames the Christian. He gets it circulated that the Christians are the one who set the fire. So now you take an already volatile situation where Christians were already hated, and now you have just... You've just fanned the flame of that hatred. The persecution really began to rise now. So Peter writes this letter in the midst of that because he knew suffering was coming. And it's interesting, not long after this, Peter himself would face his own death. Early history states that Peter watched as his wife was crucified. And he cried out while she was on the cross to her, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And when it came Peter's turn to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Savior. And he requested that he be crucified upside down. History states that that's the way he died. He knew suffering was coming. Folks, I think suffering's coming. I mean, look at the political unrest in our world today. Look at the continual signs that Jesus spoke of would be in the last days. These will be clear markings of the last days are coming. And we see them more and more and more. And we've got to wake up. Yeah, we've got freedom to be here on Sunday mornings. Now, what happens if that changes? You know, I believe the blessings of the Lord had ended up being the greatest curses to us in many ways. Because we have been ungrateful, unthankful, uh, as I stated earlier, complacent, apathetic. We've we've been made soft in this. We've become lukewarm. And we know what the Scriptures say about those who are lukewarm. They make the Lord sick. And I think, truth be known, Christianity in America is pretty sickening right now. You know, it's it's, it's tough to do messages like this because, listen, I'm here with you. Last time I checked, I'm an American Christian as well. But we've got to take a sobering look. This word is the mirror. And if we really want to see what's going on, we've got to look in the mirror to get a glimpse of who I am. 
You know, the big picture of this morning's message is that as Christians, we need to be ready to suffer for living a Christian life. I think the reason most of us aren't suffering as Christians is because we're not living a Christian life. If you'll note our outline this morning, we must learn to suffer for His namesake. We must sanctify Him in our hearts. We must be subject to Him in our lives. And we need to have the same mind as Him. You'll notice as we, re- as we posted the Scriptures earlier, you may have noticed this is the natural outline that's there in the text. And these are things that I believe as Christians that we must learn. Let's take a look at the first point. We need to learn to suffer for His namesake. Notice with me, if you would, in verses 13 and 14. What does He say? Who is He who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Who is he? I mean, what are you, what are you concerned about, Christian? What are, what are you concerned about what others think if you live a righteous life? Teenagers, I know the peer pressure, okay? Who is it that can harm you if you choose to live rightly? Is it the words of ridicule you're afraid of? Is it the not fitting in? Parents, adults? the pressure of the world, co-workers? What is it that keeps you from being sold out, surrendered to Jesus Christ in your life? You know, Peter says, who is it who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Are you following what's good this morning? Or are you following the world? Who are you following this morning? Are you following self? Self-pursuit, my career, my education. What are you pursuing this morning? Relationship? You know, he says if you are a follower of what is good, notice verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a blessed man. Well, right here... He says, if you become a follower of what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Notice 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? You will, you will suffer, you know. Who wants to sign up this morning? You're going to suffer. But if you are willing, if you have a desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're blessed. You are blessed. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to be a blessed man. Well, notice also the following. Point two. Verse 15 through 18 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you 
with meekness and fear. Let me stop. Well, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You know, this passage, this is where uh, most of the focus nowadays is on apologetics. And this is where we get our, our uh, term uh, from, apologetics, the being ready to give a reason for the hope. And there's a great movement out there in Christianity today that's equipping Christians to defend their faith. Why is the Bible the Word of God? Why is Jesus Christ the only way? And these answers are out there. I mean, there's great uh, extra resources to help you in studying so that you can know why you believe what you believe, strengthening you in your faith. But you know what? In preparing this message, I think we've missed our focus. I don't think the focus is so much in that giving a reason, though that is key and very important. But I think prior to that, notice the text, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's where it has to start. You see, these Christians were beginning to suffer persecution. And Peter tells them, Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. If we're going to be ready for the coming persecution, the suffering then we've got to get our heart right. We've got to get things right with the Holy God prior to going and standing before Him. Who cares what others may think? There's only one person you should be concerned with in what they think, and that's our Savior. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. That word sanctify means to set apart. What are you doing to set apart God in your life? I mean, you think about this. Sanctifying God in our hearts. If, If we as a people... And listen, there's a great doctrine that's neglected in the church today, and it's the doctrine of separation. It's uh, coming out of the world, uh, being set apart for God's glory. Now, I believe uh, legalism uh, kicks in too often times, and that's why the pendulum has swung to the other side of Christianity, and now there's licentiousness. But I think there, there's somewhere in there that we can set apart ourselves unto the Lord, sanctify the Lord in our hearts um, without remaining in the salt shaker, so to speak. Salt's no good in the shaker, okay? Um, it has to season those around us, life a little. But there's a way that we do this when we're right with the Lord And scriptures remind us that when we're right with God, He can even make our enemies be at peace with us. So those that, that, you know, uh, would persecute you, potentially, by setting apart God in your own life and in your own heart, you can even win your enemies at times. The scripture goes on to tell us to always be ready and... My question is, 
Why? Why do you need to be ready? What do you need to be ready for? Well, to give a reason is what the Scripture says. You need to be ready to give, to give a reason. Uh, uh, for what? Well, for the hope. What, what's your hope this morning? Huh? That this is your world? Is that your hope? That you're going to get a, a nice job and, and, and retire one day? And, and uh, What is your hope? Is it here in this world? Because if it's in this world, then I got news for you. It's going up in flames. What you're laboring for so hard and diligently is worth nothing in the eyes of eternity. Is it that relationship that you're striving for? In eternity, it's worth nothing. What what is your focus? What is your desire? What is consuming your life? If it's not Jesus Christ this morning, then your, your, your focus is not where it should be. We've got to sanctify the Lord in our heart. We've got to be ready to tell others about the hope. What's my hope? My hope is glory. One day, this body will go to the grave. The corruptible will put on incorruptible. I will have a home in heaven. I will be made new. I will be as Christ in a glorified body. I will forever be in His presence. The one who gave His life to pay the penalty I owe. I need to be ready. Why? To give a reason. For what? The hope. How? How do I do this? With meekness and fear. Peter's letting his people know, listen, I know there's great persecution. I know there's going to be struggle and turmoil going on. But here's what we've got to do. In the midst of this, be ready. There are some out there that want to know why you believe what you believe. There are other people that are afraid to stand up but inside, God is dealing with them. And a lot of times it takes one coworker, It takes one teenager in school, a college student, whoever you are, a neighbor, to stand up and say, let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you why I believe this. With meekness and fear. Continuing on this thought, the Scriptures say that... We need to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. Why? Well, so when they defame you as evildoers, what does the Scripture say? When they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Persecution is going to come. Slander is going to come. If you live a righteous life, I can tell you what's going to be said about you. Oh, they're goody-goody. They're too good for us. Um, They don't want to have nothing to do with me no more. Yeah, accusations are going to come. Slander is going to come your way. They're going to try and defame you. They're going to think your motive's impure on why you've gone out of your way to help them because nobody in this world does something today out of a pure motive. What do you want? You must be wanting something. They will be ashamed because one day the truth will be made known. The things that are hidden will be brought to light. You know, it's better to suffer if it is the will of God for doing good than for doing evil. 
Are you suffering today? Is there, is there something going on in, and in your life? Is there turmoil? Is there things happening? You need to ask this question. It, are you suffering because genuinely you are sold out, surrendered in your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and that's why you're suffering? Or are you suffering because there's sin in your life? We always have to look at that. I can't tell you. I have people come to me all the time and I try to give counsel. But I always try to give the whole counsel of God's Word. And I have, to, I have to ask, is there sin in your life? Are there things that are hidden in your heart? Things that are hidden in your mind? Things that you don't want others to know about? You've got to deal with these things. You've got to take these things to the cross and lay it down. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Get things right. Because it's better to suffer for doing the will of God than for doing evil. Well, what about the third point? The third point is that we're to be subject to Christ. Notice with me, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now let me stop for a moment. Peter is writing to people who are getting ready to face suffering. So he reminds them. He says, Christ suffered. And he also reminds them that Christ suffered once. For sins. People, let me explain this to you, okay? Anyone who would teach you this doctrine that somehow uh, you can lose your salvations, how, uh, lose your salvation, how many times did Christ die for you? Once. It is finished, it's paid in full. If it wasn't sufficient, every time you sin, Christ would have to be crucified again and again and again and again. That's not what he does. He died once. For sins. And when we assault the character of God and we assault the insufficiency of Christ, we say He's insufficient. He is sufficient. But we say, when oh, you can lose your salvation. I guess Christ's work on the cross just wasn't good enough. No. It was sufficient. It's paid in full. Once for sins. Need I remind us? It's the just for the unjust. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. We got what we deserved. We deserve hell. We rebel against God. Even the best of Christian followers of Christ, we fall short. We rebel. The things we ought to do, we don't do. Praise the Lord that His grace is sufficient. But you know, gang, it's... We've got to get back to what it's about. And it's not about the here and now. Now, the passage goes on to say that He was put to death in flesh but made alive by the Spirit. Now, interesting thing here, and I would encourage you to do this. 
sometime go through the New Testament and look up passages that talk about uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit raising Christ from the dead. Look at passages that deal with God the Father raising Jesus from the dead. And then look at passages that talk about Jesus raising Himself from the dead. And you've got solid biblical evidence to present to anyone who denies the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Very clearly you'll find passages that reference God raised Him from the dead. Jesus raised Himself. The Holy Spirit raised Him. So three in one and clearly taught. And here again we see uh, a glimpse at this. But, but notice the passage, and this is where it starts to get a little bit difficult, and I think a lot of times there's some misinterpretation, but it says, Christ preached. Um, well, who did He preach to? It says, well, let's, let's look here. Um, it says in, in verse 3, uh, chapter uh, 19, actually, yeah, "...by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison." who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Now, I'm going to stop there again. Christ preached to the disobedient. And I want to stop because I think there's a spiritual application there. Who do you and I need to be preaching to? The disobedient. Guess what? That covers everybody. We need to be taking the gospel to the lost man. Teaching happens in the church. Preaching happens on the street. Are you preaching on the street? Are you taking your faith to the world? Are you proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? Um, but notice this text. What, what, what about this text? This, this gets a little, a little bit uh, complicated here, a little, little crazy. Um, follow along here. He says, um, He preached to those in, in the prison who formerly, verse 20, were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Um, and, and so I'm going to stop there. A lot of people say Jesus descended into hell and preached His message of victory to the fallen angels. That is one interpretation. I think that's a wrong interpretation. Okay? Jesus didn't go into the pits of hell and take the keys from Satan. Well, wait a minute now. He says he has the keys. He took the... Guys, come on now. We're good Bible students here. Okay? Some people say, oh, between Friday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, Jesus was down there preaching to the fallen angels. Um, some people say that he alludes to this because it was prior to uh, the fall uh, or uh, after the fall, when uh, later on, right before judgment came, the sons of uh, God, the fallen angels, uh, demonically possessed men, they uh, had relations with the women of the earth and had offspring which were giants. And so uh, Peter alludes to them being bound in prison, Second Peter. Uh, but I still, I don't necessarily think that's what he's talking about here. And I think he tells us in the text what he's talking about. He says that who, verse 20, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Okay, so who did Christ preach to? 
he preached to those that were disobedient in Noah's day. Well, how did he preach to them? Because Christ didn't show up on the scene till later. Turn back with me because uh, Peter's given us a little glimpse of this. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And look in verse 10. Follow along with me. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Noah was a righteous man who preached for 120 years through the power and the person of Jesus Christ. That's when he was proclaiming to the disobedient. Now, those disobedient have since been judged. The flood happened. And they now are in prison awaiting the resurrection of the dead for the uh, judgment that awaits, which will be the second death. But he clearly, uh, that's who he is alluding to. They were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now we get into another sticky subject here. Let's continue. Verse 22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is at... Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to stop before I get to this because uh, we need to camp out here for a minute. Most pastors will brush over this text right here because it's a very complicated text. Let's look at it. So, you've got the power of Christ in Noah, and uh, Peter is alluding to this in the text, that while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, isn't it interesting? And, And by the way, let me make this application. We don't need to get caught up in the numbers because i got news for you. By today's standards, Noah was a big failure when it comes to church growth. 120 years of preaching, and he only had eight converts. Right? I mean, but, but come on. This is God's plan, right? Now listen, your pastor would love nothing more to see these pews packed. I'd love to see us breaking down walls and baptizing people every week. But not at the sake of compromise. Compromise is too much in the world today and especially in American Christianity. You know what I'd rather see? Eight souls on fire for God, sold out, surrendered, righteous before the Lord because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and going and storming hell with a squirt gun. I'd rather have that. But I believe God still has those that He wants to stir. And I think if we'll listen to that stirring and be obedient, we'll surrender our lives and be the church He wants to be. And there's no reason why, John 15, if we'll abide in Him and His Word abides in us, that we won't bear much fruit. And I think we can bear much fruit. But that's how we bear much fruit. So, anyways, back to our subject at hand. You've got eight souls saved through water. Now, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. What? Baptism saves us? Is that what Peter just said? 
Let me just tell you, a lot of people will take this passage and say, you see, you've got to be baptized to be saved. No. Absolutely not. Read your Bible. Study what is being said here. He says, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Now, Peter knew when he wrote that, that people were going to get confused. Notice what he says to clarify the statement. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. In other words, not water. I'm not talking about water baptism. I'm not talking about that. Okay? He says, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. There's the, anti- there's the answer. That's the, the, the antitype. But the answer of a good conscience towards God. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How are people saved today? It's not because of water baptism. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They have a good conscience. They have cried out to the Lord in their heart of hearts. They have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Just like the eight souls who were saved through the water put their trust in the revealed truth of God's Word through God's man that the ark was going to save them when the water judgment came. They put their trust in God. They acted upon their faith and trust and stepped into the ark. It was the ark that saved them through the judgment. The ark is an antitype. It's a type of Jesus Christ. And if you and I will step into Jesus Christ, if we, will, if we will put our trust in Jesus Christ, the judgment that will come, we will be preserved. That's what Peter's talking about. And think about the context of this. Get the big picture again. The world's suffering. Rome is burnt. Persecution's coming. Nero is using Christians, putting them on torches, lighting them on fire to light his garden. Peter says, look, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. Suffer for being surrendered to Christ. I'm sure when Noah preached, he was scoffed at, laughed at, rocks thrown at him. Who knows the ridicule he endured? And only eight of them believed. I don't care if you're the only one in your school that stands up for Jesus Christ and says, I will believe Jesus no matter what this world tells me. I don't care if you're the only one in your workplace that stands up with others laughing and making fun of you because you believe that that Adam and Eve were the first two people. Give me a break. Suffer for righteousness. Righteousness sake, His name's sake. So, Peter is not saying that baptism is what saves you. It's not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, okay, and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have having been made subject to Him. Christian, we need to be subject to Him. Jesus has gained the victory. The war is over. We've won. We're on the winning team. But it's up to you and me to be subject to Jesus Christ. Is He Lord of your life? Is He on the throne of your heart? That's what we're talking about this morning. The same mind 
uh, that's in Christ should also be in you. Notice verse uh, chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered... By the way, that's a reference back in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. And so Peter's now wrapping things back up. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. In other words, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What what was Jesus thinking about this subject? Lord, if, it, if you would let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, Jesus understood the suffering. He knew the cross was coming. He knew he was going to suffer greatly on the cross. Hebrews reminds us that he endured the suffering of the cross for the joy set before him. He knew what was on the other side of the grave. Amen? Do you know what's on the other side of the grave as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who's in the ark of Christ? We're protected. We're preserved. Who is he who can harm you? What can this world throw at you? What can this world do to you? Nothing if you're in the ark of Jesus Christ. So let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Where do you want to know God's mind? Right here. You get into this and let this get into you. You'll know how to live. You'll know how to act. You'll know how to carry yourself. And you'll know how to handle the suffering when it comes into your life. Because this is not our home. This is temporary. What do you got, Satan? Jesus has me. And there's nothing that can separate you from His love. There's nothing that can pluck you from His hand. Nothing. Have the same mind as Christ. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. Do you realize you're in a battle? Arm yourselves. Well, what's our application here this morning as we wrap it up? Peter was writing to those early Christians because of the suffering that was coming their way. And some of you this morning are in the battle already. For some of us, the battle's coming. God, give us the strength and the grace to face those battles. But we need to be ready to suffer for His namesake. We need to sanctify Him in our hearts. We need to be subject to Him in our lives. And we need to have the same mind as He had. Realizing, church, this is not our home. We're merely passing through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Uh, Lord, I know there's a lot there to look at and um, there's a lot more that can be said, a lot more that can be dug out. But Father, I just pray that you give us the message that you have. And I pray that it's found root in the heart of the listener. 
Father, I pray that you would just allow that seed to be buried in fertile soil. I pray that the heart was ready to receive. And I pray that those who received it would respond according to how your Holy Spirit would have them respond. So, Father God, I ask that you do now what no man can do. I pray that you search the heart, search the mind. And I pray that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed. I pray that you would have your way in this invitation. And Lord, I know there's many of us here this morning that we haven't armed ourselves. Truth be known, we're not even in the fight. Father, I pray that you would bring those to repentance that need to be repentant. Father, I ask that you would just deal with those that you need to deal with now. Because, Lord, our world is radically changing. And the comfort of Christianity that we have known for so long, truth be known, it needs to probably stop. Father, I pray that we'll be ready. Father, do a work in us. Help us know your will. I want to ask at this time with no one looking around. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning. God, I'm just not being the Christian I need to be. I want to get my heart right. I want to set apart you in my heart. I want to set apart you in my life. God, let me surrender. Let me just really step on the ark this morning. Father, you are sovereign. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. Would you draw sinners to you this morning? If you're here and God's spoken to your heart, I'm going to ask you just to respond to what the Holy Spirit would have you do. If you want to come and kneel at this altar and pray, just come and kneel and pray. Just talk to your Father. Let Him move you. Don't be afraid of what others might think. Surrender to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and truth be known, you've never really stepped into the ark. You've never come to a place where you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. We want to give you the opportunity this morning by faith, through grace, to receive the forgiveness of your sins in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you just to step on out of your seat, come forward. Someone will take and show you God's truth. 
and you can be a new man today, a new woman today. Have your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. He died once for sins. It's your gift now to receive. Would you by faith step out of your seat acknowledging that I want to receive this gift. If that's you today, don't let anyone keep you from coming forward. Would you come at this time? Just step out of your seat. The invitation is open. Father, I pray that you would continue to deal with our lives, deal with our hearts. Lord, if there was someone here this morning for whatever reason, they could not step out. I pray that you would deal with them in their life and their heart to understand this truth. They don't need to walk an aisle, but they do need to have a good conscience toward God by calling out and surrender, recognizing that Jesus Christ is who we claim to be, God enrobed in flesh, and he lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, living that sinless life so that He would be the sufficient sacrifice to pay for the wages of sin, which is death. Jesus Christ died to sin. He wasn't in sin. There was no sin found in Him. And Lord, we too, as followers of Christ, should die to sin in the sense that should no longer live by the power of the flesh but walk in newness of life according to the Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you'll convey these truths to the hearts of the listeners. And if there's someone here today that needs to, by faith, put their trust in Jesus Christ, that today would be their day of salvation. Father, help us all to leave from here, change, transform, applying your truth. We'll give you praise in Jesus Christ's name.